Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Awesome. Welcome back. We are uh, continuing in our, our story, our own personal story, of stepping into our identity. And last week, we really began to look at the concept, the understanding of mastering our sin. Uh, that, that sin has uh, become a, a more quiet issue, I think, in the church. And, and perhaps the church is kind of separated into, you know, sin is just here and it happens. And other people who are maybe very militant about uh, eradicating sin. I got asked a question or a question shared with me by a friend this week. An interesting question. I'll pose it to you. Here's the question. Are you a sinner saved by grace? Or are you a saint, a person of God, who occasionally sins? It's an interesting question. I believe most of us as the church are really sinners saved by grace. We're sinners. More than anything, we're sinners. Um, what, it, what it really describes is that we, we live a compromised life under the power of sin, and we are dependent on grace to keep us alive. The dilemma of that scenario for the church is it leaves the church largely disabled to do much of what it was ever created to do. You see, there's, there's not a surplus there because the grace is going to sustain the sinner. You see, being the people of God in the world, we should be the people of surplus. We should be the people where the world can look and they can find the presence and the power of God that is overpowering the condition of man. Whatever that happens to look like in the moment. You see, the people of God are evidence that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, and, and that Jesus is able to overcome the condition of humanity. So when we say, what about sin? We, we went back last week to that verse um, in Genesis, where God is talking to Cain, and he reveals the condition of man when he says to Cain, why are you so mad? Why is your face so downcast? And then he says, that's the symptoms. But let me tell you the problem. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain, and it wants to own you. And it will. And God's statement to Cain is, you must master sin. We cannot be sinners saved by grace. There has to be where the reality of Jesus Christ is bringing into us a continual growing into a life that can operate freer and freer of sin. Last few weeks we shared this verse. We're just going to sum it up. Galatians 5.17 
where it describes this very condition. The sin nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature's desires. So you can't trust desires. You can't trust your nature. And there's a war going on inside you, in me. That's the condition of man. And that these two forces, if they're not brought into control and submission under the Lord, we won't carry out the good intentions of our life. So sin wars against us, and the scripture is saying you have to learn to war against sin. And Paul shares this reality and the struggle of it. And I think when you really start to follow Jesus, that's when you find the struggle of it. We never have an issue with sin until we try to not sin. An addict is never an addict until they try to stop. They're just a user. It's when you try to stop doing anything. When you try to stop doing anything, you find out what kind of control there is. And we showed the image last week that there's us, and we have these inclinations, desires, thoughts, attitudes, and within there we have the old self and the new self that are being fueled by Satan and the Holy Spirit. That's our condition. And that the very nature of sin, the very tools of sin, it deceives the heart, it hardens the heart, it entangles the heart. It makes us into victims. It gives us guilt, shame. It helps us blame, shift. We learn to question the truth of God. We suffer from entitlement. So we moved last week and the week before into the stubborn sin. That's that sin that keeps happening very quickly, we looked at spiritual laziness. You know, many of us, we just have a world-oriented life. It's just a world-oriented life. And, it, and when we step out of here, we're going to continue in our world-oriented life. And that change in godliness for many of us is just not a huge priority. It's just not a huge priority. I, I think part of it is we don't really know, we don't really know the cost that it is for us. And I think we are disconnected from the purpose of God for our lives. We have a purpose for our life. Our spouse has a purpose for our life. Our parents might have a purpose for our life. Our girlfriend, our boyfriend. But God is not necessarily on that list. And then we looked at rebellion. It's where we introduce how we question God, how we challenge God. How we feel like we've done enough and God hasn't done enough and we have questions. We have conflicting goals and values with God and quite frankly, we just don't want to do it. We looked at some of the causes, unforgiveness and judgment and the power they have to control us. The power of judgments of blessings and curses. And then finally last week, we looked at Maintenance versus projects, and that's really how we do sin. The maintenance is we have to work on it daily. We have to work on sin daily. Daily I have to evaluate, because if I let it go, it'll begin to grow more and more in me. The projects are the big things that happen, the big fail that you had. And then following Jesus is always looking at what it's producing in your life. 
I want to skip now to temptation. It's where the fight is on. There's a verse I shared a couple of weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that comes up today. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I get a lot of questions about this verse because I think a lot of us feel like, you know, I don't know that I had enough power to overcome my temptation. And does God really give you the power to overcome your temptation? Is that true? Is that verse true? Well, I have a, I have a little skit uh, I want to show you that will uh, kind of shed some light on how this is true and how we misinterpret these verses, because very often we would like to see this verse as saying, I can do it. I am ready. I can overcome. But it says he's given us a way to escape. He's given us a way out. It, it describes a trap. It describes a trap. So I, I want to show you um, this right here. Don't let it deceive you in its appearance. This is the heart of God. You hear how I said that? Didn't it sound cool? The heart of God. All right. And uh, I've become a believer, and I am putting on the heart of God. And the heart of God has these powerful things. It protects me. It keeps... Keep, it, uh, it's supposed to protect me from harm and injustice. I just need to zip it up maybe. Not sure, not sure what happened there. But the heart of God protects us and nothing, nothing. I don't, this stupid thing doesn't work. I try it again. Come on, try it again. I'm going to show you the heart of God right here. Now, you see what's happened here. Don't try it again. Thank you, James. He relished being able to do that. Yeah, everybody gets a chance. You see, <laughs> yes, you see, the fact that we have the heart of God does not mean you're not going to take a hit. It does not mean that there won't be injustice in your life. It does not mean that your life will be smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that your life will not be impossible. It doesn't mean that there won't be crimes against you that are, that, are un, that are not unforgivable. You see, the very nature of it suggests a trap. I was trapped. I mean, this, this person had become my, my, the 
the bully in my life. And you see, I had to protect myself, didn't I? I had to do something. I had to do something, so I picked up the hammer. You see, as I'm laying on the floor there, and God comes over to pick me up, I shake his hand off. Where were you when I was being hit? Where were you when I was falling? Now you want to be here and help me up? You see, what the world has in darkness and injustice, it will require that we daily walk with God. My escape is Jesus. That's my escape. That's my escape. Jesus isn't a pill. It's not a shirt we put on. It's not a program of protection. It is a relationship that says, trust me, Bill, even with your life, even with your death. Trust me. You see, it's in this place that I'm set free of fear. In this place, I don't have to hate my enemy. In this place, I don't have to draw a line that says, now I'm going to fight you. Temptation is just that. You see, because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I won't be tempted. And, and because Satan and my flesh can use all the senses to do one of two things, make me so attracted I cannot resist, or make me feel so trapped I have to do something to get back. You see, both of those, I reach for something that is not God. And what I'm saying is, God in this moment wasn't enough. But see, the temptation is not just whatever the temptation is. The temptation is wanting to push you to the place where God isn't enough. Whether you do a drug, whether you go have sex with somebody you're not supposed to, that's not the actual goal of Satan. Satan's goal is that you find a place where God is not enough. He doesn't even care where it is. He wants you to find a place that you believe God is not enough. These songs that we sang today, I'm sure of your faithfulness. The one before that spoke of what is true. You see, these are the truths. That's why we put them in songs. Where people who are being persecuted around the world and tortured, they sing songs of God's faithfulness. They sing songs of his truth. They shout them. Sometimes they are the dying words. 
So as we deal with sin, that's the place we deal with it. Temptation has this place. It's a powerful place. We never underestimate the power of temptation. Never underestimate the power of temptation. But we should never underestimate the God who says, don't let Satan deceive you. There's always a way out. I'm always your way out. You got a black square in the middle of me, Jeff. I don't know if that means something. So how do we deal with sin? Today it's going to be a practical message. We're combating laziness. We combat rebellion. We combat our need to seem good and to look good. Sin is personal, isn't it? I really don't want you to know a lot about my sin. It's private. It's personal. It's between me and God. Satan loves that language. He just loves it. So as he's working to estrange you from God, he's getting you where you and God are not on good terms, and you're not willing to talk to anybody else because it's personal, it's private. And so now what he has is he has you isolated. He does that with sin. We don't want people to judge us. We want people to know those things about us. We don't want people to be able to use those things against us. Satan says, you're right. You shouldn't have people judge you. You're right. It's none of their business. You're right. You're right. You're right. Satan rarely tells you you're wrong unless you're pursuing right. And now we've introduced the secrets of our life. And so we have this message. How are you? I'm fine. It's not true. But it'll do in the moment, won't it? How do we deal with these sins? Here's the first thing. We don't do it alone. Don't let Satan isolate. Don't let your weakness play into his strength. James 5, we're starting in the middle of verse 15. If they have sinned, if, he's just talking to the church. If somebody has sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of righteous person is powerful and effective. You see, it breaks the power of the secret. Now, there's a host of issues that come to, with that. They may talk about you to someone. That could happen. Wow, I shared this deep, dark secret, and they told somebody else. I am never going to tell anybody again. I am never going to trust anybody again. I will go back to Satan with all my might. I will maintain my secrecy because it's nobody's business. And out of my pride, I will allow Satan and participate in my isolation to my death. So 
somebody knows something about you. Your secrecy is overrated. Years ago, I was doing an inner healing class uh, here at the church, and I was um, I was sharing something very private uh, with, I don't know, 14, 15 class people, and uh, very personal, very private. Uh, I cannot begin to tell you how personal and private this was. And in this group, uh, my future daughter was in the group, And uh, I, I'm going to tell you, this is not going to make any sense, but hear it in the name of the Lord, in the, in, this, in the eyes of the Lord. I did not see her. In the 45 minutes I'm sharing, I just didn't see her sitting there. I don't know why. I didn't. Um, and after the talk was over, she walks up to me in tears. And she gives me this big hug. She tells me she loves me. This is before Melinda and I are dating. Now, two things are going through my mind. My first and foremost thought is, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I just shared that in front of her. She was in my youth group. I mean, I was just devastated. But the other thought I had was, she still loves me. We need one another, people. If we're going to be serious about mastering sin, I tell you, our lives will be totally different when we get the better of sin. We will be different people. I'm going to give you a uh, process here for dealing with your sin. You know, one, two, three. First, you got to acknowledge your sin is sin. Your sin is not my sin. It's not their sin. It's not our sin. It's your sin. I have to do the same thing. This is my sin. What I'm saying there is, this is my attitude. This is my heart. These are my actions that are contrary to who God is and contrary to who I was created to. That's what sin is. That I have violated the very character I was created to be. And we really need, um, and when we do that, we need to be able to look at the motives behind it. I mean, really look at it. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I not do that? What was driving me? Second, we must acknowledge that we have done this to ourselves, to others in God. In other words, who got hit in this? Best, best we can understand. I did. If I sinned, I took a hit. But very often, I sinned against you. Somebody. I sinned against God. 
It's not free. I, I need to acknowledge that. When I've done something against somebody in here, or somebody in my family, or a stranger, I need to acknowledge that. My view is we need to acknowledge it out loud. And I think it's really helpful, you don't have to do this every time, but acknowledge it to someone else. Number three, now you're ready to go to the cross. Now we're ready to take those things that we did wrong and take them to the cross and leave them there. We're honest. I want to confess my attitudes. I want to confess my thoughts. I want to confess all the things associated with that that were not what I wanted them to be. And I want to leave them there. I want to leave the guilt there. I want to leave the shame there. I want to move on. I want to look also at what is the Father doing in this moment. So you see, when I, when I do something that's really contrary to God and I'm, I'm before God, I'm talking about this, it's very often he actually brings up something that's rooted in this or something else. Or in other words, he, he goes, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad you, you, know, you tripped over this. Like when I get shoved to the floor and I'm picking up the hammer and I go, okay. And once I realize, okay, this, this is not what God intended, then God can talk to me about other things that feed into this. In other words, what, what, was he try, what is he trying to do? He's always bringing something good out of something bad. So where was he going with this opportunity? It's always an opportunity. Repentance is always an opportunity to gain ground. Getting rid of sin is not coming up to zero. Getting rid of sin is going beyond zero. It always is. It is life trumping death. It's always more than zero. There's always more to gain. I never look at it as I'm trying to drag my sorry self back up to zero. I'm never dragging myself to sorry zero. I want to go way past zero. And then I want protection over my heart and my mind against the people that may be involved in this. Now that might sound like a complicated process, but it's really not. And it might sound like it takes a long time, but it really doesn't have to. It does for me at first. When I first started doing this, um, it was a bit clunky for me. I know in the church there's a lot of work, a lot of dialogue about correction, correcting people, rebuking people. There's a lot of references in scripture. And as we're talking about equipping ourselves to really master sin, and we're talking about people are a role in that for us. You know, we also have to look at we are a role for others. In other words, there are times when I need to bring correction to someone. 
And there are times when people need to bring correction to me. Now, my view, uh, there, are some, there are some scriptures about how the church is supposed to go about doing this as a, as a corporate setting. I'm really not interested in talking about that today. But what I am interested in talking about is that we have a responsibility to one another. And, and, and there are, there's a complex set of verses that kind of represent, you know, go and rebuke them. And, you know, if you look at uh, in Romans chapter 14 and chapter 15, you see people who are, you know, religious about meat sacrificed, idols saying, hey, don't sweat that stuff. So you, you see this process of grace, mercy, and accountability. And I think when you take the picture as a whole, uh, I think you're going to see we have a role for one another. Um, Galatians 6, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who, are, who, are, who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. This is not the only place. It says, when you are stepping into somebody's life in the role of correction, you need to do that not with the law, but you need to do that with the full empowerment of the love of Jesus. This is not about the law. It's not about protecting the rule from somebody breaking it. This is about people doing well. So you see, my view, always, always, put all the scriptures together, I'm going to simplify it. If you see somebody doing wrong, love them, pray for them, care about them. And then turn inside and have God begin to minister to you what he might minister to them. You see, it has to start here. If I see somebody doing something and I am offended by it, Am I re and, and they're clearly sinning. That is not the time I should go speak to them. My offense, the very fact that I had an offense, is the reason I have to go to the Lord. You see, if I were wise, when I get shoved to the ground wearing the heart of God, what I should really concern myself with is why didn't the heart of God work? Have I misunderstood the heart of God? You see, instead I focused on my enemy and not on what God was doing. You see, I looked at the heart of God to be the armor of God that was to protect me physically. And God never said that. You see, it was that moment I could have understood a lot more about God. I could have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, this did not keep me from getting hit. And he could say, you're right. It didn't keep me from getting hit either. 
I could have gotten killed in this. I know I got killed in that. So God, what am I missing? How does it protect me? Bill, you're making the world your enemy. You don't need protection from the world. You need protection from you. You need protection from the things in this world that, that can kill your spirit. You're misunderstanding your enemy. James isn't your enemy. I've got a whole different thing working with him. You've misunderstood. Do you hear how different that is? Do you hear how now, because I've sought the Lord, now I have a different view. I got asked this week, what about when somebody wrongs me? There's injustice toward me. How do I deal with it? Well, that person could not be here today. They're traveling. But we're going to look at it. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in yours, your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay. Carlos, if you could come here, please. Come on, you've got the heart of God. You have nothing to be afraid of. Come here. Uh, Carlos is uh, one of my best friends on the planet. And, uh, uh, but he has a sin, and uh, I'm going to help him with it. Here, let me get that out of your eye. Let me get that sawdust out of your eye. Here, I can get it with this right here. No, I'll use this. This will do it. You see, the scripture is saying, if you just try to do this without me, if you try to do this without you having uh, really stepped into his shoes, you're going to hurt him more than help him. You're going to gouge his eye out. Not take the speck out of his eye. Because you can't see. I could do this. At 20 feet I could do it. But up close, you don't want me picking something out of your eye. Thank you. It's our role, but what the role requires is we start here first. And you see, it requires that sin is not my master. So here's some steps for you. One, acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the injustice. And all the stuff that goes with that. I can't believe she did that. She always does that. She never does this. She always does this. This is not the first time. You know, she doesn't like me. She does this. And ever since, you know, I told her boyfriend this, she's hated me. 
I'm never going to have anything to do with her again. Do you realize how many sins I have just committed? There's like, I don't know, two or 3,000 in that statement. There's inner vows, there's judgments, there's curses, there's all kinds of things in that statement. Yet that's a fairly common statement when we're hurt. Now I might feel like I'm just speaking the truth. She does hate me. She doesn't this. She always, I, that might be true. So am I trapped? Am I trapped? Is the heart of God not capable here? Is the temptation supposed to suggest to me that this is beyond the capability of the gospel to help in this situation? And this requires me to intervene. If you look at the times you've walked away from relationships, if you looked at the times that you've manhandled something, if you looked at the times that you've abused people, all of those are the hammer. You realize how often you use the freaking hammer. So you have to acknowledge that stuff. So I can go to God and I can say, She did this to me. You saw it. She's done it more than once. She's hated me ever since this, and I did that for her own good. I feel this. I feel that. You see, I bring it all before him. That's the place for me to spill my guts. It's my truth. It's my reality. And God is not afraid of my truth and my reality. What he wants me to do is not be afraid of his truth and his reality. You see, once I say all that, now it's time for me with Jesus to look in my life and see I have manipulated other people. I have wronged people. It's time for me to allow God to show me I am one of those two. I'm a person that does those things. I have done those things. And what I'm always wanting from God is that he will forgive those things. He will never give up on me. He will, he will love me. I'm, you, know, I'm, you know what I'm wanting? I'm wanting God to not judge me. I'm wanting him to still see me as a good guy. I'm wanting him to be the one who will still say, I'm acceptable and holy. That's what I'm wanting. You see, it's in that place that I have now allowed myself to be lowered instead of being their judge. Instead of being the one lording over their crimes, I've allowed the Lord to lower me to where I am up here with my enemy. Where my enemy and I can look eye to eye. We can see we suffer from the same things. We judge people. We hurt people. We're tired. We're arrogant. We're lustful. We're greedy. 
We're angry. We're hurtful. We're selfish. You see, God will allow me to realize that we suffer from the same disease. The third part is, now I'm ready to go to the cross. Now I can go to the cross and I can ask for forgiveness from my past. I can ask, something just happened there. Too. I can ask for God to forgive the things I've done. I can ask God to heal these things that were done to me. And I can ask for his protection. Because when I see that person again and they say the same thing to me again, Satan will want to take me right back to where I was. But my resolve is, I'm not going back. The fourth thing, now you can ask Jesus if there's some way you might be able to help this other person in their journey. The question is, what is God doing? Remember, it's never coming to zero. It's always a positive. What Satan means for evil, God means for good. What Satan meant to be destructive in the lives of two or more people, God is going to produce a fruit of life. What are you doing, God? What are you doing? Because he's doing something. It's never about zero. It's never about coming to zero. God, what are you doing? What are you messing with? Is it in me? Is it in them? Is it in us? You see, I'm in a unique position to care about this person. This person who's acted as my enemy and probably still grossly dislikes me. But see, before the throne of God, I'm holding their arms up. I'm standing with my acting enemy and I'm holding their arms up before God and I'm saying, we're right here. We're right here. I'm, I'm raising up my fellow struggler. And it's in that moment you become the most powerful people on the planet. Now, I'm in a position to go speak to that person about our struggle. You see, now my heart, I've got the plank out of my eye. And probably my language will be very different now. Instead of, you always do this, you've never done this. I told your boyfriend that for your own good, blah, blah, blah. Instead of all that, there will be something very different that comes from me. Because I can see clearly. Because the Lord has made it clear.
Every day, sin wages a battle to win. What God says is, <clears throat> I've made a way for you to win every time. Don't sell out for you're a sinner saved by grace. You're a son and the daughter of the Most High God. And the power is within you. Overcome death and sin. Doesn't mean we don't sin. It means that we're, we were never created to just give one up. You know, for me, more and more every day, this is becoming important to me. To not let one get by. I, I'm beginning to offend myself. Um, I get offended if one gets by. It's a, it's a righteous offense because I say, all right, how, how did I let that one, what made that one okay in the moment? Because my desire is that I will be less and less every day the target of easy sin. My attitudes, my thought life, everything. You see, the cross is where all that took place. And it might sound like, wow, that's a big, long process. That could take weeks. It might. But as you get better at it, it can take minutes. You see, I got to do this this week with someone who doesn't like me. I don't, I don't, it's not James. I don't think, but. Someone who won't speak to me. Someone in ministry. Best I can tell, they despise me. And uh, the details are not important, but I can tell you the fight was on here. And when I say the fight was on, I'm talking about, I feel a lot of justification on my part. And I thought it interesting that that happened right before this sermon. But I am this person's peer. And they haven't done anything I haven't done. And they are loved by God, as am I. And I am not this person's judge. But I am this person's representative with all my might. And I feel like God is just, you know, this took about, I don't know, five or ten minutes. And it might sound like that's a little bit of time. In that five or ten minutes, it feels like an eternity. And there's a little bit of a war going on. Because what's happening is the old self has to die. He would stand.